series called The Good Shepherd. And it's all about knowing who God really is. Now, friends, let me just, let me just propose a question here. What good is it to read the Bible? What good is it to sing songs about God? What good is it to go to a place like this? What good is it to, to call ourselves Christians if God is still distant? If we don't know him? If we're not growing in relationship with him? What's the point of it? You see, God wants us to know him personally. And this is such an important point for us because unless we grow in our understanding of who God really is, how can we ever effectively relate to him? How can we ever enjoy life in relationship with him? How can we ever get to the point of trust and dependence upon him? Right? And so one of the most powerful ways, as we began to see last week, that God reveals himself to us is by depicting himself as a shepherd. He depicts himself as a shepherd. It's all throughout the scriptures. But that also tells us something, friends, that God doesn't want us to just see him and know him as a shepherd. He wants us to relate to him as sheep. See, sheep follow the shepherd. Sheep depend on the shepherd. Sheep look to the shepherd for provision. They come under his guise for protection. They trust in him for preparation for the paths ahead of them. They trust him and depend on him for their entire lives. And one of the best ways to understand who God is, is to learn from a man whose writings are reflective of what God testified about him. We're going to be looking at Psalm 23 for the remainder of this series, but I want you to keep in mind the context for this. This was the man that God said, this is a man after my heart. This is the man that is the model for imperfect people that have my heart, that love me, that are devoted to me. Despite his mistakes, despite his challenges, despite his messes, God turned them into messages. And so we're going to look at Psalm 23, and as we dive in, I want to encourage you to approach the Scriptures with this, because, friends, if you've been here any length of time, you know this. I bring you no opinion. I'm not that smart. But what I do want us to consider is the truth in God's Word. And so as we dive into the scriptures today, I want you to ask yourself these questions as you process. God, what are you actually teaching me here? What are you trying to teach me here? God, where might I be going wrong? Are you showing me an area where I'm headed in the wrong direction? God, what are you trying to restore here? What are you trying to uh, uh, show me to do correctly here? And then finally, God, are you calling me to act on something, to apply this in an area of my life? Because, friends, as we approach the scriptures that way with an open heart, here's what's going to happen. Transformation. Here's what's going to happen. Change. But most importantly, we'll draw near to a God who's so near to us. Amen? Come on and give God some praise if you believe that. Oh, come on. We could do better than that. So we're going to turn to Psalm 23, and we're going to start at verse 1. And it says, the Lord is my and I, what? Lack nothing. Come on and say that like you believe it. The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. Some of you, some of you, yeah, okay, don't worry about it. It's all right. The church is like a hospital room. We all need help. All right, so we'll, we'll get there. We're going to get there. Right, but the Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Watch this. He refreshes my soul. 
refreshes my soul. He guides me along the, path, uh, along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil in my cup. My cup, my cup, it overflows. Surely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know this to be true, David says, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. I love this, this portion of Scripture because David really approaches this from the standpoint of his personal relationship with God. And last week we were looking at this idea that we all have a story that we tell ourselves. A story that informs how we see God, how we see ourselves, and how we relate to God, and if we relate to God. And this was David's story. This was, this was the underlying bedrock on which he stood that kept him unshakable. And today I want to focus, we're going to focus on verse 1. Now the context here when David says, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing, is important. Before we go there, though, I want you to imagine something for a moment. Imagine that that was what you believed about your life. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine what kind of life that might be? Now, let's dig into this. At this juncture of life, David had a firm grasp on the kingdom. He was solidified. He was firmly planted as the king of all Israel. David, at this point of his life, was, uh, um, had a reputation that was dictated by success on and off the battlefield. He had riches. He, he was feared by his enemies and he was loved by many. He had power. He was respected as a strong authority. He led capably. He had favor in God's eyes and in the eyes of men. This is, this, this is where David was coming from when he wrote this. This is what was going on in his life. And based on his accomplishments, on his possessions, on his standing in life, I bet that most of us would agree that David lacked nothing. If we just look at all that was going on in his life, despite the challenges, if we looked at all the things that, quote-unquote, dictate success and sufficiency, we would say, David truly lacked nothing. But see, there's a problem in that. Because David saw it differently. See, for some of us, we would look at it from the standpoint of, He's so accomplished, he's accomplished to the point that, man, I only wish I could get there. I wish I could have that kind of power, that kind of riches, that kind of possessions, that kind of authority. Of course, David would say he lacks nothing. Look at where his life was. And yet, David did not place his confidence and his sufficiency on what he had on he, or he accomplished. I'll tell you why I say that, because David wrote this psalm from the vantage point of a sheep. He's writing this in the voice and the experience of sheep. Sheep that love a shepherd and depend on him. Sheep that wholeheartedly trust 
and are confident in a shepherd. David understood that sheep follow a shepherd because they recognize that the presence of the shepherd is the source for every resource. And so he knew that a sheep's, sufficient, sheep's sufficiency and satisfaction does not come from what they receive. It comes because of the shepherd they follow. That makes sense? Now, they say that sheep are dumb. That's what they say. I don't know about that. I know sheep bite. Right? I've had suffered a few amputations over the years, you know, leading sheep, so to speak. Right? But thank God the Lord is merciful and they've grown back. Right? I'm still standing. Right? So I don't know about sheep being dumb, but I would, I would venture to say that um, for the person who views this from the standpoint of the sheep follow the shepherd just because of what they get, that's actually dumb. Right? They say that sheep are dumb, but I would venture to say that sheep are actually smart. Because here's what sheep know. As long as I'm following the shepherd, I'm good. As long as I'm with my shepherd, I'm good. It's all good. So when David stated, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, here's what he was really saying. I lack nothing because my God is everything. I'm good. I'm good. So today, this leaves us with an important question. One that creates tension and is the basis upon what we're going to consider from the scriptures. Today, I want to talk to you on the topic, is God enough? I have a question for you, friend, for us. Is God really enough for you? Is he enough? Is he enough? Is your sufficiency, your satisfaction, your sense of need, is that all fulfilled in God, because of God? Is God enough? See, David's psalm reveals that when he was at his best, God was enough. When he was in his lows and at his worst, God was enough. When he was at his holiest moments, God was enough. And when he was in his most sinful moments, God was enough. David's testimony in life ascertains that when he was provided for and, or, and when he was at peace, God was enough. And when he was surrounded by enemies and everything was going to hell, God was still enough. Friend, I ask again, is God enough for you? I mean, is he really enough for you? And this question is important because it clarifies, if we're honest, if we really dig into this and consider the scriptures today, it clarifies for us if our relationship with God is based on a genuine love for him or if it's based on a genuine love for what we desire to get from him. Is God enough? Oh, boy, he's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 but you already said you love me, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not worrying about it. I'm, 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 we got to consider this. We really got to dig into this, right? And so one day Jesus was teaching. And he wasn't just teaching anything. Jesus came on mission. He came with a message. The message that he was declaring was the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It has arrived. Jesus dared to certify and declare, I am the Messiah you've been waiting for. Jesus made statements that were controversial 
and, and, and put people in a place where the rubber had to meet the road or they had to break out. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And if anybody de desires to go, go to the Father, he must come through me. Jesus declared in John 10, I am the good shepherd. Yeah, and my sheep, yeah, they know my voice. Jesus declared that those that seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. He says, those people, yeah, all these other things that they're worried about, those things will be added to you. Jesus declared, follow me. Go the way that I'm going. And so while he was teaching about the kingdom, while he's proposing a new way, he's teaching people and enlightening them to a new path to relationship with God, to walk according to the kingdom and experience all that the kingdom afforded them. While he's teaching this life-giving message, a man comes to him with his emergency. Go ahead and tell somebody around you, your emergency is not my emergency. Yeah, I'm going to tell you why. Because this man, may, maybe this person is in this room. I don't know. Maybe they need to hear this. I don't know. I'm just saying, right? No condemnation, right? Maybe this applies. But this man came to Jesus with an emergency, and he should have heard that. Somebody should have told him, what you think is an emergency isn't. So he comes to Jesus with this, with this emergency, this dilemma. His father was deceased, and his brother would not divide the inheritance that was left. And so he comes to Jesus recognizing that Jesus is credible as a source to facilitate the release of these resources. Let me put that to you another way. He comes there and say, all these people listen to Jesus. For all we know, his brother might have been there. All these people actually are subscribing. They're, they're following after this man. They're believing his message. And so in the midst of this teaching, he goes, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Jesus, I know you were about to talk about, you know, hell and new life, you know, and, and being born again. But, but let me, let's just pause right there for a moment for a most important announcement. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is not right. This is not fair. How about that, huh? And it, he interrupts Jesus, and Jesus responds with a parable. Now, this parable was not just meant for him. This is the guy who had the guts to expose what was actually in his heart. And the reason why I say that is because parables were stories that Jesus used to clarify and simplify the practicality of spiritual truths. It was his way of bringing a heavenly revelation, something that was true in heaven and according to the ways of God, and putting it in a way that everyone, if they just thought about it, could see the truth, could encounter God. And so Jesus responds with a parable because not only does he want to address this man's situation, but he's also interested in the crowd. You know what that tells us in present day? That person that he's talking about in the parable might just be in this room amongst us. It could be me. It could be you. It could be us. Different junctures of our life, right? So Jesus responds with a parable. Luke 12, starting at verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Watch out. 
Why are you looking at me like that? There's an exclamation point behind that. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of what? Greed. greed. Be on watch be on against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life is not about what you possess, he's saying. Life does not, is not sustained by what you possess, is what he's saying. And then he, he goes on to say is that he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded a what? An abundant harvest. An abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? You know what this reminds me of, what I hear right now in my head in this moment? My grandson has these moments where he goes, pop, pop, I got an idea. And usually when he's got an idea, it's about something that, actually always, it's about benefiting him. He's a little robber, my grandson. Anyways, back to the story. What shall I do? I've got a great idea. I have no place to store my crops, he says. And then he said, this is what I will do. Got an idea. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my what? Surplus grain. I'm going to store all my abundance there. So here's what this guy's actually saying. I'm going to tear down everywhere that I store all this stuff, and I need to build bigger because I need to make room for more. Right? Goes on to say, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. So watch what he's after. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Somebody go, ah. Yeah. Because many of us, that's what we want. We want to be happy. We want ease. We want life without complications. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but it's how we go about it. So it goes on to say that God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared? Watch this for yourself. For yourself. For yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Let's dig into this. The first thing that we begin to see here, based on this encounter that this man has with Jesus, this man who had this emergency of, you know, I... I need that. I want that. If I can just get that, I'll be satisfied. If I can just achieve that, I'll, I'll be good. The first thing that we learn about this encounter through this parable is that unless Jesus becomes your greatest need, a sense of need is all you'll ever have. That's all you're ever going to have. That's all we will have. That's all we'll be left with. This man seemed to have it all. Don't miss the, the, the context here. In this era, in this age, in this time, many, many years ago, societies thrived on an agricultural system. Meaning simply, you got crops, you're good. You got crops. And if, now considering this man, he had 
an abundance, a surplus of crops, which tells us that he didn't just have crops, he had land. And if he had crops and he had land, then he most likely had animals too, right? So this guy is loaded, right? He has surplus, right? He's the guy that some of you follow on TikTok and you look at Instagram and you go, man, they are paid, they are made, and I wish I just knew him. If I could just get a little something, something from there, I'd be all right. This is the guy that people would follow. This is the guy that people would encourage in this day and age. You need to be on a podcast. You need to tell us how you did it. But here's the reality, friends. Here's the true context. His example teaches us that you can have it all, quote, unquote. You can have more money. You can have more possessions. You can have more success. You can have more achievement. You can have more degrees. You can have more homes. You can have more cars. You can have more sneakers. For some of us, that's currency, right? Like, yeah, we, we're sneakerheads, right? You can have more, more, more. But here's what this parable begins to enlighten us to, that you can have more and still have your needs unfulfilled. You can have more. And still be empty. Man, isn't that true? Simply put, you can have more and not have enough. Yeah. So while he was busy amassing riches, what we see is that he was depleted of the one thing that could satisfy him. That could fill his need for sufficiency. Jesus called it. Richness toward God. Richness towards God. So this word rich in the original language is interesting because it speaks of affluence and resources. It speaks of one who exists in a state of abundance. The Strong's Concordance puts it interesting, calls it wax rich. And, you know, the, the thinking behind that term is comes from a process on how they used to make candles. They would take a string and they would dip it in melted wax, they would pull it out, and you would have this film of wax. And then they would dip it in again, and there would be more wax. And after doing that countless times, what you would have is a ball, and then they would shape uh, what we would call a candle. And what this teaches us is that Jesus was saying, you're trying to get, you're trying to advance this process on your own. But you see, friends, if we're ever going to truly experience satisfaction and know what sufficiency is, you can't do that without being dipped in the presence of God continuously. You got to go deep. You got to go deep. You got to go there and walk it out and go there and walk it out. You can't just read the Bible. You got to let the Bible read you. You got to speak to you, right? We can't just sing songs. We have to know the one that we're singing about, right? We can't just come to a place that many people call church and dismiss the fact that God is actually trying to teach us something through his word, right? We can't dismiss the people in the body of Christ as insignificant because we have disagreements or we don't look the same or we don't act the same or we don't believe certain things the same. Listen, friends, we got to go deep. We got to dip in continuously. So this guy was missing that. He was what many of you would call rich, but he was actually poor. Because this man had an abundance of resources, but he wasn't fulfilled. Hey, now's a good time to pause and just consider this question again. 
Is God really enough for you? Is he really, really enough? See, he was seeking rest and happiness. He, was, he wanted what you and I want. But he wanted it, listen, through the accumulation of possessions and achievement. And what we see is that he had much. But he had a greater need. Yeah. See, on the surface, life is a lot like cups. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Everyone, in some way, gives the appearance of pursuing something, right? We all want sufficiency. We all want happiness. We all want rest and peace and joy, right? We all want that. Everybody's seeking that, believe it or not. In whatever warped, twisted way, unfortunately, sometimes that manifests in some really negative, destructive ways. But at the end of the day, we're all seeking something. Could you hold this for me, please? We're all seeking something. The problem is this. This man was not rich towards God, right? He was not abounding at all in a relationship with God. And here's what the scripture reveals, that while he had much, it was not enough. Why? Because there was a hole in his life. And friends, while it appears that he's pursuing what everybody else is, no matter how much God poured into his life, it was always pouring out. No matter what he amassed, it wasn't enough. But you see, friend, when your pursuit is God, not only does it fill you, no, friends, oh, it abounds and it overflows. And why does it overflow? Let me tell you why it overflows. Because the hole in your heart is filled, which means whatever God pours in always fills you, but it always overflows to be able to fill someone else. Come on and give God some praise. So, friends, some of us are without Christ as our source. And we have a hole in our hearts because all we're doing is pursuing resources. But when your pursuit is resources, you'll never be replenished, friend. Because you're missing what you need. It's abundance in relationship with God. Yeah. Nothing's ever enough. No money, no people. Nothing that they, they can do to refresh you or fill you. No, no career. Nothing. You can be anointed. You can be, you, you can be chosen of God as all of you are as children of God. But we can still be walking around with holes, leaking anointing. Wasting away what God is pouring into our lives. Not a good recipe, friends. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 8. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. Loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Watch this. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them what? Garbage. If you only knew what that actually says in the original language. You know what it says in the original language? I'm going to put it politely. Dung. You know what dung is? It's that stuff that we, 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 we created entire systems to, to dispose of, to, to get that refuse away from us. We don't want it. We don't want to smell it. We don't want to touch it. We don't want to exist amongst it. Paul calls it dung. Why? Because if that's all we pursue, it gets in the way of our gain in Christ. He says, I've let go. I consider all that garbage. I consider it dung that I may gain Christ. Leave that scripture up for me for a moment. I want you to consider what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Apostle Paul is telling us that anything gained outside of a relationship with Christ always ends in loss. I want you to think about, let's be honest with ourselves. Think about those moments where you deviated in your pursuit of God. May have been a job, may have been a a friend with some benefits. Don't look at me with those holy eyes like, like you don't know what I'm talking about. Right? It, it, could, it, could, be, it could be that, you know, that, well, this, this is the door that opens, so it must be God. Right? And we go in pursuit of that, but we've, we've detoured from scriptural wisdom, we've, de- we've detoured from counsel, right? We've been doing our own thing for a long while. And while we're doing that, be honest, you've done that. What did it actually add to you? Yeah, you know, this whole pursuit of more, 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 you know, more, the surplus, I'm, I'm chasing that. Ask yourself this question. You remember that time when you said, if I could get to this level of income, I'm going to be good. And then you got there, and it's not enough. If I could just get that house, if I could just get those, that car, right? If I could just have this dream life, and, and I can have the, the dog and the picket fence and the green grass and all these other things. If I could get all that, I'm going to be great. And then you... You arrive there and you go, but there's got to be more. And so here's what we do, like the man in the parable. We tear down our barns. We tear down our lives in hopes of making more space for this idea of satisfaction and sufficiency and something more than God. And it only leaves us with less. Doesn't work, friend. Doesn't work. It's dung. Like dung, it'll ultimately get flushed away. Yeah. But Second Peter 1 and 2 tells us differently. It says that grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Stop right there and consider what the scripture is telling us. It's telling us that grace. This is favor that affords us joy, pleasure, goodwill, mercy, and reward, and peace, which speaks of rest and quietness within Peace from within, safety, prosperity. It also speaks of happiness. That that's multiplied to us as we're growing in knowing God. That's relationship, friend. (laughs) 
See, the benefit of knowing Christ, growing in relationship with him, is that we increase, increase in our experience of God's grace and God's peace. I don't know about you, but I'm all for grace and peace. Come on. The second thing that we learn here, say this with me, is more is a lie. <laughs> more is a lie, friend. It is a lie. More is a lie. It is an absolute lie. In the parable, we have a man we all know. We're, we're, we're acquainted with this person. We've been there ourselves. He wanted to build bigger barns because he equated greater possessions with greater satisfaction. God's response, you fool. You fool. Why would Jesus use this terminology in this parable? Because more is a deception, friend. I don't have time to take you there, but you go check this out on your own time. At the very beginning of creation... When sin was introduced into the world, it came through the lie of more. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Satan shows up. He says, hey, Eve, Bozo is busy chasing butterflies or something, looking somewhere else. And she's engaging in a conversation with the enemy. And he says, hey, you know, if you would just eat of this fruit, you'd get more wisdom. If you just eat of this fruit, you'd, you'd become more like God. The problem is she was already like God. They already had all the wisdom they needed. They had all the blessing they required. They went chasing after more, and guess what? The rest of us were left with less. You see how destructive more is? The belief that more will lead to enough. And so for that reason, Jesus tells us, we just read it a couple of minutes ago, that we should watch against all kinds of greed. Question is, how do you do that? I'm, I'm so glad you asked that. I, I'm actually, I'm glad you thought it. Because I heard you think it. Like, you didn't know I could do that. Because I'm right there with you. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 tells us how we guard against this. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, what is it talking about? This is not talking about people. This is talking about a system, a way of life, a belief system. That's what it's talking about when it talks about the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Love for the Father is not in them. You can't be chasing more independent of God and believe you'll get more of God. There's no love for the Father there. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh. The word lust there is strong desire. It's, it's a deep desire. It, it's not like, oh, you know, I, I'd like to try it. No, it's like, I got to have that. The thing is, it's a selfish desire. So the lust of the, eye, the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Pride of life, it's talking about anything that fills me, that's about me, that advances me. It's all about me. It excludes God. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father. That's a system of the world. 
And it says the world desires, the world and its desires, I'm sorry, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let's leave that up there for a moment. Because what the scripture is telling us is that we can follow the will of this world, which is all about me, what I want, what I see, what I desire, what fills me, what I do to fill myself. But then there is another will. There's the will of the Father. And the difference here is this. We're going to guard against greed. We have to understand that it's a matter of the will. It's where you direct your will. Are you following your will or are you following God's will? Simply put, are you doing it your way or will you do it God's way? So here's a good litmus test to consider in this regard. Here's a good test. Ask yourself these questions. Do you romanticize people and things? What am I talking about? Oh, if I could just get with her, everything will be amazing. If that could be my husband, if I could just live in the house that they, if I could have that career, I want that income. I want that responsibility. I want that type of friendships all around me. I want those people around me. See, what we're doing is we're romanticizing selfish desires. We're in love with ourselves. Friend, if your desires are to satisfy a will that is against what the scriptures reveal, let me just propose to you, friends, that you're operating under a lie called more. And it doesn't work. Do your desires lead you to believe that if you get that house, find that man, drive that car, make that amount, live like those people, that you will be happy? Friends, it's a lie. Because people, wherever there's people, there's problems. Trust me. Thank God for miracles. These fingers have grown back. Because <laughs> sheep bite. I'm just saying. Hey, you know, I love you, right? I'm just saying, though. It's just true. Friend, if you're operating according to to the world's system, you're operating out of lusts, seeking to satisfy your flesh, your eyes, and your pride. And here's what the scripture tells us, that those gains that you're after, they're going to pass away. You may get there momentarily, but they're going to pass away. That'll never be enough. Because something's missing. The last point I want to leave you with here as we close today is that the one that made you is the only one that can meet your needs, that can meet your true needs. The one that made you, the one that created you, the one that knows you most intimately, yeah, only he can meet your true needs. The man that came to Jesus in sheer desperation with his emergency was seeking what he thought was rightfully his. My half of the inheritance. 
How many times haven't we done the same? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. This man went to Jesus for something instead of going to him because he wanted him. I just want what you could do for me, God. I just want your blessing. I just want your provision. I just want your help. I just want your intervention. Can I tell you something, friends? Because I've been there myself. I've done this myself. But sometimes we reduce prayer to what we want. We go to God for what we want. We go to God for what we think we need. And that's unscriptural. Now, the Bible does say make your requests known before God. We should make our requests known. But do you know that from a scriptural perspective, the scriptures reveal that when we pray, we should be praying with thanksgiving in all things. And the only way to pray with thanksgiving as opposed to requests after requests after requests, we're approaching God like he's a slot machine. The only way to relate to God in a way where we're thankful in everything is when God is enough. It may be bad out there, but God, thank you because you've never failed and you never will. Thank you because you are my exceedingly great reward. They may be going crazy, but Father, you're still the same God that walks in the middle of storms and restores us and walks with us on the water. God, I'm trusting in you. You got to remember the context of Psalm 23. It was in the dark valley. And in that dark valley, David declared, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You got what you need, friend. You just may not know him. You may not know enough about him. So remember that guy, David, the guy that penned Psalm 23? He says something very interesting in Psalm 42. Because David knew something about God being what he needed. About being all that he required to be in this place of happiness and sufficiency. And so in Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, David says, As the deer pants for streams of water. Watch this. So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with my God? Leave that up. Let me tell you why the one that made you is the only one that can meet your true needs. Because according to the revelation that we have from David, this man who was attested by God to be a man that was after his heart, David said, I pant like a deer who pants after water. I'm longing for you, God. But then he says, why? Because only you can touch my soul. Money can't fill you in the soul. People can't fill you in the soul. They, they might tickle your soul because you allow them. But they can't, they can't dwell in the soul. They can't touch the soul. Only God can do that. 
Because you see, that's where our greatest need is, friends. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.